Welcome to the Tilikum Baptist Church Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and I am so glad that you've joined us today. So we are kicking off really just our journey to Easter and uh, starting in the book of John. And we're starting in a place that, you know, probably if we had a few more weeks, we'd start somewhere else. But we started in John chapter 13, where Jesus, he institutes foot washing and just talk about, you know, some really uh, important details to understand what Jesus was getting at in this passage. And, and of course, you know, recognizing that, you know, we all, we all need Jesus to work in our life in different ways. And, and certainly Peter is a model example of that, of, uh, you know, some of the things that he does. But I'm really excited for you to listen to this, and I want you to know, um, if you want to become involved in any of, any of the service projects that uh, our church is doing or is involved in through the community, um, whether that's the the little free food pantry that I mentioned in this episode, or if you uh, just want to support the ministry of Tilikum Baptist Church, that you can do that, and you can do that by um, you know, sending a check to our to our address, which is eight four one five Maple Street Southwest, Lakewood, Washington nine eight four nine eight, with your with your check just addressed Tilcom Baptist Church, and if you specify you know if you want to help our youth programs or or our outreach or missionaries that we support, we'd love for you to do that. Obviously, I don't really promote a lot of financial stuff on this podcast, but you know, if this podcast has blessed you in any way that you feel like you want to give back to, to how you've been blessed by God through this, then we're not going to tell you no, obviously. And um, But I also just want to throw it out there that if you're in the Lakewood community and you don't have a church, you should come join us. Uh, we would love to have you. And, uh, you know, we meet at 10 o'clock for our adult Sunday school. We have a youth Sunday school that also meets at 10. And then we have our main worship gathering at 1115. And uh, it's been really great because we've been consistently having some really amazing volunteers to help us out with our nursery program for kids zero to five. So, yeah, I just want to encourage you that as we start to get to a little bit more of a um, place where people are feeling more comfortable being out and about to come join us for in-person service. And of course, um, if you're not around, please continue listening to this podcast. I hope you have a blessed day and I look forward to uh, hearing any comments or feedback that you might have. God bless. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. 
No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not everyone you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Word of the Lord. So as we continue our series on spiritual transformation, we're going to focus these next few weeks on the journey to Easter uh, through John's account of the last few hours of Jesus' life. The narrative is so rich with Jesus sharing his final thoughts on many different practical, theological, and prophetic outcomes of his life that are important for us to grasp as Jesus followers. The plan is that for this week and next week, we're going to get through John 14, and then our Good Friday service, uh, we're going to have a mixture of this uh, scripture reading and hymns uh, that will lead us to Jesus' journey to the cross. And then on Easter, we'll get together and we'll celebrate the resurrection, and we'll be so enthusiastic and excited to join Lord willing, uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church. And we're going to we're gonna step into today's message, which is obviously John 13. But Jesus, um, Jesus and his disciples had gathered for Passover. It was one of Israel's most important festivals to commemorate the work that God did to rescue them from Egypt. And it's interesting that, to note that when John recounts the Last Supper, that he doesn't focus on Jesus' institution of communion at all. But he talks about Jesus instituting foot washing and predicting the betrayal of Judas and how Peter was going to fall away and deny him as he was going to face an unjust trial. But that's just like John. He's a little different, right? So we're going to talk today focusing on how Jesus set an example of service to one another that we must imitate if we are to call ourselves his followers. And I have to wonder what the disciples anticipated would be different about the Passover that they were experiencing with Jesus because of their entry into the city at this time, where you know there was so much fanfare and enthusiasm and excitement about Jesus coming in on a donkey like a person, like a king who had just come back from battle. And they were singing his praises, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and the disciples are just like, something special is happening. Something, you know, the city is buzzing with, with the excitement about this, uh, about the possibility of what Jesus might bring to them. And little did they know what exactly Jesus was going to do. So the reason, another reason why it would be, is really interesting what's going to happen is that Passover was a time where Jesus had kind of done some things to rock the boat in the past, right? You remember in John 2, he drives out the money changers with his whips, and he 
just flips over the tables, and he's, he's indignant about his father's house being a place of worship, a light for the nations to come and worship, and instead it's being used to extort people and to, and to find ways to, uh, you know, really keep people from entering God's presence as fully as they could, rather than helping them to have a communion with God that was meaningful and was what God intended for the, the temple to be. See, then in John 6, we have Jesus. He has just performed the feeding of the 5,000 right before Passover, and he, he starts with this sermon on, I am the bread of life. And, and you know, he's saying, I am like the manna that's come from heaven. And, and they're like, okay, like, they, they're looking for another meal, right? And he, he goes and he says this really outlandish thing. He says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that freaked people out, if you ask a little bit, right? So thousands of people are running away, getting heading for the hills because Jesus has just said this like really disgusting thing. And of course they didn't know what he was talking about. He was foreshadowing what the Lord's Supper would be, uh, signifying and and Jesus even asked his own disciples, Hey, what about you guys? <laughs> And then Peter, like he does so often, he pipes up and he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Nobody else has the way, has the words of eternal life. And we come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So, yeah, you can say Passover was a bit of a big deal for Jesus and his ministry. So let's get into this text. So, first off, Jesus... He humbles himself by becoming a slave. And, and he does this by putting on the, the outer, laying aside his garments and putting on the towel to, to wash people's feet. And he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to the cross. And even in his last hours, he acted out of love and service to others. I don't know how many of you maybe seen the movie The Holiday, but... You know, the lady, she gets a diagnosis that she has a week to live. And so what does she do? She quits her job. She maxes out her credit card. And then she and then she goes on this crazy long trip. Oh, well, a week long, right? Just doing whatever she wants. And then, you know, she finds out that they had switched the papers. It was a misdiagnosis. It was wrong. But it goes to show, what would you do if you knew that you had a limited amount of time. And the fact that what Jesus chose to do was he chose to he chose to put others first. And he, you know why I think Jesus did that? I mean, other than being the son of God, right? I mean, you know, we can defer to his divinity and just say, well, he was God's son, he was doing what he came to do. But I think that Jesus had such a security in his identity with God, you know, reaching back from when he was baptized, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased, that it actually gave him the strength that he needed to endure his last day, his last hours. 
And it makes me wonder sometimes, where's my security? What kind of security do I have in my identity in Christ? You know, am I motivated and compelled by who God says I am or who I want to prove myself to be? Because Jesus didn't have to prove anything. I mean, he had done so many miracles already, and he had said point blank, hey guys, if we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to get handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to die. And they couldn't hear that. The disciples could not hear that. So he laid aside his garments, and he became a servant. And usually people that did foot washing were low rank, and and it was required by the host, you know, to supply the water uh, to wash his feet. And, and he takes, he puts on this towel and takes on this um, role of a slave to wash the feet of his guests. See, Jesus was setting an example to the disciples of service to one another. And he's going to get into that in a few minutes. But he's going around, he's kneeling, washing people's feet, and then he gets to Peter. Oh, good old Peter. You know, like I said, Peter, he pipes up sometimes when it's great. You know, he's the first one to say, well, you're the son of God. You know, like, and and then he says some really stupid stuff. And you know what? I think there's hope because we probably are all there sometimes. We're proclaiming God's goodness, and then we say some really wild stuff that has God just going like, uh, didn't he just... Okay, I still love you. There's still a place at the table for you. But um, Peter says, Peter says, you know, you're not going to wash me. And Jesus basically says, unless you, unless, sorry, that is incorrect. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so John 13, 6 through 11, you know, Peter says in verse 9, you're on track now. He says, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> he wants a bath. And, you know, the, the reality is that Peter's response, Peter's response is a mixture of humility and pride. And and the reality is, is that Peter was uncomfortable with the level that Jesus went to serve. Because it seemed to be really out of order of how Peter perceived that things should be going. And then Peter, he, he wanted to dictate to Jesus how Jesus served him. How many of you guys have ever been there in your prayer where you're like, okay, God, here's what I need, and I need you to do it like this. Because then the Lord will all work out really well for, for me. And I think that we all wrestle with coming to God with humility and a sense of anticipation that he's going to work things out, but hopefully he'll work it out on my timeline and my schedule. That's just not how God works. But Jesus is so gracious because he acknowledges that Peter doesn't understand what is happening. But he will later. Jesus doesn't 
you know, start to, you know, accost him and say, come on, haven't you been listening to what I've been saying these last few weeks, these last few months, these last few years? No, he just says, look, you don't understand what's happening, but you will, okay? Because Jesus' actions, again, they didn't match Peter's aspirations for Jesus, for what he was supposed to accomplish. He's thinking, hey, there's, there's the Messiah. He's riding down on this donkey. Everybody is just crazy about him. We are going to finally get rid of these Roman oppressors that have been just making everything terrible and unclean and, and ruining our land. And, uh, and the reality is, is that Jesus didn't come to do any of that at that moment. Right? We know that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge systems and he's going to judge governments and leaders for how they treated people and for how they acted on behalf of the authority that God has given them. But we also know that all of us have this God box that we perceive how we want God to be or work in our lives. Even if we know scripture, even if we spent our time being like, hey, I know that God is blank, right? All these things that scripture says, but we tend to navigate towards one. Then we really wrap around and we say, hey, this is what God is like. And then we forget to read the rest of scripture in accordance to that. And so we have this mindset of what God is like and who he is and how it works. And we also have this lens that comes from our experience and from the culture that we come from. You know, I've been reading a really good book um, lately, and, and it's called Reading While Black. And what it is, it's this, um, this black pastor talking about how the black church has historically viewed scripture and how the and how it's there's themes of liberation, righteousness, and justice that they tend to really hold on to. But he, he also acknowledges that, you know, part of that is the experience of African Americans in this country, and it's different between every cultural group and experience uh, of life that we have, how we view scripture. And that's why we need each other, to balance each other out so that we don't get to one extreme, right, and, and not see the full picture of who God is. And you know, this is important because so often in our own circles, you know, we take time to celebrate God and his goodness and his faithfulness and have joy and all these things, but we forget that God also is with us in suffering. He's also experiencing the, he's, God through Jesus has experienced everything that we do. And we come to verses like Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And we have to take a pause for a minute from all the celebrating and rejoicing and, and, and getting, getting to church because it's a good feeling and sit in this place where God enters in to hard places too. And I think that we do ourselves a real favor if we start to dismantle those God boxes that we've created so that truly God and his word can define himself. Because it is easy to get comfortable with an image of God that makes you feel good. And we ought to be careful not to do that.
no matter what generation we're from, no matter where we're from culturally, ethnically, we need to make sure that when it all boils down to it, that we're being faithful to this word and that we're talking to one another about it so that we can correct, so that we can encourage, so that we can make sure that we are really living out this life of community and service to one another. So Peter, <laughs> he says, wash all of me. You know, Peter's objections and his enthusiasm were so ignorant of Jesus' mission to go to the cross. Even though, again, Jesus has said, here's what's going to happen, you guys, just so you know. And there are spiritual implications that Jesus is trying to lay down here of coming to God as a cleansed person. And this foot washing symbolized washing, the washing away of sin. And in the Roman Catholic Church and other liturgical church traditions, they preserve foot washing um, to happen on Monday, Thursday, where they get together, they'll have a special service to do foot washing. And, and we're not going to do foot washing today, okay, because I love y'all, but I don't want to touch your feet, okay? Um, I'm just, that's just, it'd be really, I mean, it would be really hard, I think, for all of us uh, anyway to do it. So, um, but here's the thing is that Jesus says, no, I just need to wash your feet because Peter has already been ceremonially cleansed, right? The, before, the, before the feasts and things like that, they had to take a ceremonial bath, and, uh, which is really smart for God to do, right? Because they're out in the middle of the desert, and probably the time, most times of the year that they get a bath is right before uh, a feast. Um, so God knew what he was doing, but Jesus, he, this symbol of washing away sin by foot washing would become more permanent um, than the custom of washing feet before entering a home because he was going to go to the cross so that he could offer forgiveness of sins so that you didn't have to go and wash yourself every time there was a feast. So that you didn't have to look at yourself and, and say, you know what, I'm so unclean. And Jesus was going to do away with that. But there's a significance even deeper in here of Jesus' example of service. See, Jesus, well, before I get ahead of myself, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, verse 12, anyone who has faith in me will be will, will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong chapter, guys. We flipped too many pages here. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. And, and here's the thing is that Jesus' example began with his love for enemy. Did you know Judas was sitting here 
in this circle of disciples. And Jesus doesn't get to Judas and say, no, not you. Like, I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to touch those feet because you're, you're a bad guy. You know, like, and, and Jesus, he, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. But he shows this love for enemy. And I have to think that there's been a lot, a lot of ways that in this last year we've probably created enemies from different, you know, divisions and sides of uh, arguments and things that we have come come in view of. You know, maybe it's maps, maybe it's other things. But here's the thing, is that if you, if you can't love your enemy, I just, I don't know if you can even follow Jesus' example. If you can't love your enemy, um, you know, it might be a good place for you to check in with God and say, Lord, help me. You know, help me to love my enemies. Help me to love those who are difficult to love. You know, serving means not only love for enemy, but taking on the lowest position. You know, Jesus was still their Lord and teacher. But he didn't let those titles get in the way of performing the humbling task. And here's the thing. If you're not willing to serve with a humble heart in a low position, then you won't be willing to serve with a humble heart in a high position. You know, for me... For many years, while I was in college and seminary, I was a caregiver for adults with disabilities. And, and some people have higher or lower functioning cognition and physical ability. And I always wondered what the point of me doing this job was, besides getting a paycheck, right? And like, what was God trying to do by letting me have this experience? And, and I realized now that God was showing me that if I didn't have the humility to serve in a place where nobody saw me or cared about what I did, right? They, they weren't congratulating me for, you know, making people's food or being, helping them have good hygiene, you know? That was just the job. But what it's taught me is that when I, that because I was able to serve in a low position, that God has given me opportunities to serve in more upfront positions. And I think that is good because we can't begin to, to serve with humility when we, when we make it. We gotta serve with humility right where we're at. And here's the reality, is that Jesus sets the bar impossibly high, right? And he says, you know, no servant is greater than his master. And he sets the bar impossibly high. But you know what? We're going to talk about this next week. It's made possible because Jesus is going to provide the Holy Spirit. And praise the Lord for that. Because we were able to, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to really live into the life that Jesus intended for us to. 
Well, that'll be nice for you. So come here with your, with, uh, your brain set on that. Secondly, he's given us practical opportunities to partake in that have spiritual realities. You see, Jesus instituted baptism, and, and he instituted communion, and this service of foot washing, that are all things that are common elements, right? But when done, when taken in his name, when performed as an act of worship to him, they have spiritual realities that help us to draw near God, that help us to proclaim the goodness of God and who he is and his character and what he's called us to in his mission. And here's the thing. I love what Jesus ends with. We're going to end with this in verse 17. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, I think for some of us in here who are brainiacs, like sometimes I am, uh, I like knowledge. You know, I think knowledge is a pretty big blessing, right? Because without knowledge, I mean, I can't win an argument, right? No. But without knowledge, I, it's, it is difficult sometimes to know how to proceed forward in love and service. Because sometimes if you do service, Without knowledge, without discernment, without thinking, um, you can do some damage. You can cause some relational damage because you may have intended to do something nice, but you didn't think it all the way through or you didn't have all the, the information you needed to make what you're doing to serve um, a blessing. But we're blessed if we do follow Jesus' example. And following Jesus' example is much more difficult than foot washing. Okay? Here's a, here's a story of Andrew and his knowledgeable approach. Um, so when I was my first year at seminary, I had some Christian neighbors and some non-Christian neighbors and Christian neighbors, and I thought it'd be really fun to do a Bible study and invite our non-Christian neighbors to come and and so we did, and you know what? I spent a lot of time during the day being in God's Word, being in all these classes that were teaching me all these really good things, and I needed somewhere to unload all that really inspiring information that was going to change the whole world, right? No. You know what happened? It was a couple weeks into the Bible study. We're, we're in towards the middle of the end, and and one of the guys, he looks at me and he says, you know, you think you're so smart. And you come here every week and you share something that you think is interesting and, and exciting and whatever. He's like, I, I think I appreciate that you're trying to give us information and stuff, but it doesn't really help that you seem really all about yourself when you talk, when you talk about it. And my heart sank about a million feet in my chest. <laughs> and I can just remember like gulping and being like, what am I gonna say now? And so you know what I did? One of the single most difficult things that it is to do in a situation like that, which is I said, I'm sorry. And from then on, 
know, after having an honest, open conversation and being being able to take that humbly, um, it increased the actual ministry and the actual conversations and relationship that we were able to have. Because the knowledge, my puffed up brain was getting in the way of following Jesus' example of loving and serving humbly. And yeah, they needed to know some of the things that I was sharing. But they needed it less as a fire hose and more like a little trickle out of the sink, a little bit out of time. So as we make our way to the end of our time in Scripture today, I want to focus primarily how Jesus set an example of service to one another that we must imitate if we are to call ourselves his followers. This following Jesus comes with a cost. Following Jesus is difficult in a world consumed by productivity, risk mitigation, and image management. I mean, you've seen everybody out there, right, with their selfies, their selfie sticks, and like, image is important. But a mind for service, of service to others, done in Jesus' name, calls for concern more about relationships and less about productivity. You know, the bottom line, right? Taking risks for the good of others rather than only considering the risk to yourself. I'm not saying you don't have to serve. I'm just saying, if your service isn't costing you anything, it might not be as much of a service as you think it is. And we can't give so much care to what other people's opinions are on us as we pursue people on the margins, just like Jesus did. Because, you know what, it's not fun all the time. I'm sure you're all well, well aware that serving people is hard. And if Jesus called us to do it, and he did it, and he empowers us, then we can do it. We just need to remember that God has called us to serve sometimes outside of our comfort zone so that we can grow. And so that our motivation for serving others can be demonstrated and proclaimed, and that is this, to show love because Christ first loved us. So how do we go about doing it? All number one, I think you got to identify people. You know, we did that exercise earlier this year about who is in your circle of influence, how are you talking with them, how are you serving them, and I'd love to hear more of that. I'd love to know more of that. Um, so maybe we'll have a, have a time in the next few weeks where we can stand up together and talk again. I know you love, I know you love that. Secondly, you know, if you have not received forgiveness from Jesus to wash away your sins, if you if you've not been baptized after making that decision, then I want you to consider that. Because baptism is a public testimony of your relationship with Jesus. And if there should be anywhere that you feel more comfortable than any place in this neighborhood or on this earth, it should be in this building to each and every person here. I know some of you have been baptized a long time ago, so don't worry. Won't ask you in the water yet. But 
for those, for those of you who that applies to, take it to heart. Lastly, in about 30 minutes, we're gonna go, I'm gonna go over to the youth center here, just down the road, around the corner, and we're gonna dedicate the little free food pantry. And I'm really excited about this because I think it's gonna be a way that we can serve our neighbors who are dealing with uh, food disparity, who are, you know, we live in a food desert. No, uh, no grocery stores here, right? I remember the first time, the first day that Rachel and I moved, we moved to Woodbrook, and we had somehow forgot to pack our peanut butter. I mean, who does that? We love peanut butter, so I don't know how we got out of our old house, our old apartment without it. But I was like, no problem. Let's go across to Tillicum, go to the Tillicum Food Mart, and get me some peanut butter. <laughs> I've never been to that particular food mart. You know that a good size of peanut butter is like six bucks. And then I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but we, but you know what? There's other people who, they, they do that. And it makes other things in real life difficult because they don't have another, another way. And this is just another way that we can serve our neighbors, and yeah, I know Nourish comes here, the community center is open during the week, but there are people who work nights who, who don't have the flexibility to make all those times, uh, or who work swing shifts. And so I think this is gonna be a really good way that we can serve our community. And if you ever wanna contribute, all you have to do is just let me know. Um, and we've got a spot over at the community center where um, we're putting those, those food donations. Oh,